Welcome to episode one of Smalltalk Reflections, a weekly podcast for discussing and promoting the Smalltalk programming language. My name is David Buck, and with me today is Craig Lada. Hi, Craig. Hey there. So how's life in sunny California these days? Fantastic. I'm on a visit to California from my home in Amsterdam. I'm visiting friends in San Diego right now, and it's uh, amazing for November, almost disturbing. Yeah, and here we have snow back in Ottawa. Uh, why don't we start back with uh, introductions? Um, why don't you introduce yourself, Craig? Oh, okay. So I've been an avid small talker uh, since way back, since 1991, uh, when I first encountered small talk while a student at the music department uh, at the University of California at Berkeley. I ran into uh, Guy Garnett and Stephen Travis Pope uh, at the Center for New Music and Audio Technologies, the uh, Berkeley's Computer Music Laboratory. Guy was working on uh, a system for interpreting conductors' gestures using computer vision and small talk. Uh-huh. Stephen Travis Pope was working on his composition system, which now I think is called Siren. Very interesting stuff. It was actually through a bunch of musicians that I got turned on to small talk. Hmm. That's a cool way to get turned on to small talk, actually. Yeah. So. After I got out of school, of course, I wanted to keep working with Smalltalk, so uh, I was always on the lookout for any jobs that mentioned it. And I happened to find a job posting from Glenn Krasner uh, at Park Place on Usenet in the Bay Area jobs posting group. And I interviewed there for um, what David Liebs would later call uh, the VM grunt position, sort of the, the, the newcomer to doing uh, VM work. Um, <laughs> and, and my first project was working with Tim Rollage on the Windows VM for Objectworks. Tim Rollage, who now works on um, uh, Scratch for um, um, Raspberry Pi, I believe. Yeah, exactly. And, and in fact, I'm working with him again, uh, doing some audio things for Scratch on the Raspberry Pi. So we're working together in Smalltalk again. Um, and we worked together in between as well uh, at Interval Research mm-hmm. on a, uh, a small talk based uh, home networking system. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I've worked at a few other uh, interesting small talk places after Park Place, um, including Atari Games, uh, where we were using small talk for music composition. I would never have thought Atari Games was using small talk. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, totally by coincidence, uh, Alan Kay. I worked there back when they were doing well enough to have a, a research division. But then totally by coincidence, uh, some other small talkers came through. I was there thanks to a composer named Brad Fuller. Oh, yes, Brad Fuller. I know him. Yeah, who's become active again in the Squeak community. So it's fun to see him again. Mm-hmm. And I also worked at the IBM Watson Research Center uh, doing AI work uh, with uh, Samuel S. Adams. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, Samuel Adams. He's big on... Um uh, big processing, like um, multi-core computing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was after that that I worked with uh, Dave Thomas at Bedara Research Labs on uh, op- Open Augment, 
uh, a recreation of Doug Engelbart's augment system. Um, I actually had Dave Thomas as a university professor. Oh, nice. So that, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he mentioned open augment to me and said that you were working on it at the time. So, uh, it's uh, an attempt to uh, sort of recreate or resurrect the software that uh, Doug Engelbart had for his uh, augment system. Yeah, the very first hypertext system. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, and I've been uh, active in the Squeak community since it started in 96, and I've served on the board of directors several times. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on uh, another distribution of Smalltalk uh, called Spoon, which is uh, derived from Squeak. Who's currently uh, the head of the board of directors of Squeak, the Squeak Foundation? Oh, we've never had one. We uh, find it better to work at, totally as peers. Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's just uh, the board. <laughs> yeah, it's just the board yeah. and the consensus that we get. Yeah. Sounds good. So I started working at uh, Park Place in 92 and have managed to keep working in Smalltalk ever since then. Oh, Congratulations. Thank you, but it hasn't been easy. <laughs> no, it, it has not. Um, myself, um, I started in Smalltalk back in university in 1984 at Carleton University under Wolf Lalonde. Uh, they just got their brand new spanking new um, Smalltalk AD in, and they put it onto one of their Sun workstations. Um, I can remember the first time I used it, the Sun workstation had one megabyte of RAM and it needed two. For running small talk. Oh wow. So it was swapping out to virtual memory. <laughs> and I, I can remember holding the mouse button down and watching it slowly flood fill with black, then flood fill with gray, then text, 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 text as a menu comes up, and then select the menu item, and then I could move the mouse slowly. Oh wow. So <laughs> eventually they Eventually, they got a second uh, megabyte of RAM on that system, and it worked much better. You paid your dues. Oh, yes. So anyway, so since um, I, I did my a few projects at Carleton University in Smalltalk, um, I returned to uh, Carleton University and did my whole master's thesis in Smalltalk, uh, and that was uh, using um, simulated physics to help with computer animation. Oh, cool. So that that led eventually to a product that I created called Elastolab, which was a little physics lab for kids. Oh, nice. So that was fun. And then um, in 1993, I joined the object people here in Ottawa and started doing small talk commercially. And in, in 1994, I started my company, Simbron, and uh, I've been doing small talk consulting ever since then. Nice. So uh, I've never actually left the small talk world. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a brief stint for maybe a month or two working on a Java project, but virtually everything else has been uh, consulting and training in small talk. Oh, cool. Okay, very good. Um, well, we're starting this podcast uh, for the purpose of discussing small talk and the small talk programming language. Um, I actually announced this on my uh, Facebook page. And I got a few people saying, what's Smalltalk? <laughs> so uh, Smalltalk is a programming language developed at Xerox back in the 1970s. And it's being used today for all sorts of things. We'll get into that in the second episode of this podcast. Um, but the purpose of the podcast is basically to help people who are working in Smalltalk be more familiar with what's going on in the world 
and to help encourage more people to use Smalltalk as their everyday programming language. So uh, you're going to hear lots of war stories from us about things that we've learned in Smalltalk and uh, hopefully we'll be able to pass along a little bit of information. Cool. In this episode, we're going to have a tribute to James Robertson. He's uh, a podcaster who's been doing uh, podcasts for years and years, uh, ever since uh, 2007. And sadly, he uh, passed away in April of this year, April 2014. So um, to fill that void, which we'll never be able to fully fill, but uh, we're making our own podcast and starting it off again to continue the work that James started. So uh, uh, did you actually meet James when you were working at Park Place? Uh, no, he was after my time. I was there in 92 and 93. Okay, because he actually worked at Park Place um, back in the 90s. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the dates that he started and finished there, but he, uh, he was certainly active in, um, in Park Place. And back when VisualWorks was sold to Syncom in 2000, he moved from Park Place to Syncom. And uh, while he was there, he started writing blogs about Smalltalk. Um, and that's uh, that's been at least 10 years that he's been writing blogs. And during that time, he created blogs for other small talkers as well. So at, at one point in time, he had a community of probably about 10 or 15 people all blogging about small talk. Wow, nice. And to keep it all together, he wrote a uh, program called Bottom Feeder, which was an RSS aggregator. So you could pull in posts and uh, uh, or posts from multiple um blogs and be able to see them all at once and see what's changed. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, very. Um, in uh, January 2007, he decided that he's going to get into the uh, podcasting world. Uh, podcasting was just getting started back then. And he uh, created the first small talk podcast called Industry Misinterpretations. And uh, I think what we'll do is we'll play the, uh, the first clip, the very first words that were ever spoken on industry misinterpretation by James back in January 2007. Oh, cool. Sunday, January 7, 2007, time for the first industry misinterpretations of the year. Michael Lucas Smith couldn't join us today because we arranged for 9.15 a.m. Eastern time today and he suddenly realized how late that was in Australia. As it happens, I wasn't sure that my schedule would permit to have something recorded later in the day, so we just went forward at 9.15, David Buck and I. Things that are in CINCOM Smalltalk that you may not remember or even realize are there. There were plenty of things that, over time, I either wasn't aware of, hadn't been aware of, or only even recently became aware of, and I'm sure other people will have the same experience. It's a good podcast. Hope you enjoy it. So those were the first words on industry, mis uh, industry misinterpretations. And you can already see from that clip that uh, he had a bit of a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. That, that came through all through the podcast, especially in the early days when we were trying to figure out how to get those podcasting to work and figuring out time zones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I liked his dry sense of humor. Oh, yes. And uh, that came out very often. Um, I, I've been listening to or re-listening to some of the old podcasts and there's a lot of laughter that goes on in these podcasts, though so it was it was fun. Um, I was there in the first days of um, industry misinterpretations, and uh, I had to drop out after a while because it was just too much effort to keep up with everything. So he and Michael went on for a while, Michael Lucas Smith, 
And then after a while, um, Michael couldn't keep up with the uh, podcast anymore. And I came back in and we kept going. Cool. For industry misinterpretations, James and either myself or Michael uh, recorded 209 episodes of industry misinterpretations up in October 2010. And in October 2010, James left Syncom and started doing independent consulting work. And because he was an independent consultant, we changed the podcast and called it Independent Misinterpretations and recorded another 141 episodes. So uh, overall, we have uh, about 350 episodes of podcasts recorded by James and uh, either Michael or myself or sometimes uh, conference talks. So let's play the first words from the second podcast, Independent Misinterpretations. Welcome to Episode 1 of Independent Misinterpretations, a podcast by James Robertson and Michael Lucas Smith covering small talk and other dynamic language topics. This week we have Ernest Micklay, author of the Sook.st search site, where he has a bunch of libraries from Squeak, Faro, and VisualWorks, and plans to include more. That's a very good run. Um, oh, good Lord, yeah. Episodes. That's a lot of episodes, and uh, very yeah. few podcasts actually lasted that long. Uh, we started back when podcasting was brand new. So that you can see from that uh, intro, uh, he's gotten much smoother at the intros than the first one. I guess we learned over time. Yeah, that was a very snappy intro. So um, with uh, the combination of the two, again, over 350 episodes. And then James was started doing uh, small talk daily screencasts. So every day he would record something of, out of small talk, maybe... Um, two or three minutes, maybe five minutes of some little demo and put that up as a screencast. He would promote it on YouTube and uh, uh, put it up on his own blog. And that was a great resource for people to learn small talk or to learn aspects of small talk that they'd never seen before. Yeah, that was just amazing uh, how he was able to keep that up um, so regularly. And uh, I also liked how, you know, he wasn't afraid to deal with the, uh, really basic introductory topics uh, or really complicated ones. He would just sort of dive in. Yes, uh, and I found myself, it was even for me who had been programming Smalltalk for years, if there was some aspect that I hadn't seen in Smalltalk, I would uh, go look at the screencasts and, oh, look, James did a screencast on this web services component. Let's go look at that. Yeah. And uh it it was a great resource. Then, if he as if he didn't have enough to do, you know, on top of doing podcasts and daily screencasts, he started doing regular episodes on Python for you and JavaScript for you, mm -hmm. which were the same sort of screencast model. Here, let me show you Python, and I'll bring up a screencast and. Uh, well, bring up a screen and show you how this works. Yeah, that's really cool. So he was in all sorts of things and basically wanted to promote the, the dynamic technologies of um, Smalltalk, Python, and JavaScript. But uh, his love was always Smalltalk. That was, that was his, his strength, his forte. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I must say we had a lot of fun doing the episodes, um, and especially when things started to go off the rails. Sometimes uh, when you're recording a podcast, you, you start talking and suddenly your mind goes blank. And uh, I'm going to play a little clip for you here. Here's uh, James once when he lost his train of thought. No, I was just going to say it's that um, 
Well, now I have lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, yeah. hey, when you screw up, just admit it and go on. Yeah. And that's impressive, too, because there was usually no editing to these podcasts. So that's very brave to just jump in and put yourself on the spot like that. Yeah. This podcast, on the other hand, is heavily edited. So uh, we're screwing up left and right all over the place and you don't even know it. Um, James had a great sense of humor. He was very cynical about lots of things. Um, I'm going to play a clip for you here about uh, James saying uh, stuff about uh, DBAs. For those who don't know, DBAs are uh, database administrators. These are the people who run the databases. And James didn't really have a fun time talking to them. So uh, we'll play this little clip. <laughs> and, you know, in a big company, not talking to the DBAs is always a pleasant thing. There you go. I'll, I'll play another one. This is um, uh, what happens when things go wrong. What happens if you get there? Do you pull down? Do you, do you break the glass and pull the red bar or what? So that's when things really go wrong. Yeah. Yep. Let's evacuate the building. True enough. He had uh, one that I found uh, talking about... Um, what happens when you screw up somebody's finances or fin you screw up a company financially? If you do something to screw somebody up financially, it could be, it's not the kind of thing you should take lightly. And um, I found one other clip and for the life of me, I don't remember what the context was, but um, I'll play this for you just to show James's, uh, Jim's humor. Uh, you know, for, for all you 14 year olds out there, stop giggling. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally out of context. I have no idea what he was talking about. No idea. But this is the kind of comment he would make during the podcast. So I also found that James had, uh, even though he was very uh, self-denigrating, he would say, oh, my technical uh, expertise isn't worth crap or anything like that. But he had a lot of very good technical insight into how software is actually developed. So uh, here's another clip. <laughs> <laughs> they decide there are all sorts of cool things they can do, and then, I don't know, two, three months later, they go, holy smokes, there's all sorts of things I should never do in any real system. That was the kind of thing you heard James say a lot of is, yeah, we will never do that again. That was a mistake. Yeah. And that's something I really loved about James. He was willing to admit that, okay, yeah, we screwed up, but we learned from it. Here's another one that we like. It's... Um, called re-explanation and uh, I'll, I'll just play it. It's the sort of thing where if you don't, if you screw up your explanation once, no amount of re-explanation is going to help because you've already scared people. <laughs> yeah, I saw that happen a lot in computer science. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So we went around to uh, various people who um, worked with James over the years and uh, we got a few uh, clips from them talking about James. So. I'll start off with Troy Brumley, and with Troy, the big inside joke was always that James was saying, oh yeah, that's uh, Troy's fault, or we'll blame that on Troy. So here's Troy talking about that. James and I, in many respects, were kindred spirits. We had uh, somewhat different uh, approaches, uh, but... You know, uh, James delighted in being a, uh, uh, a gadfly mm -hmm. and, you know, was not afraid to tell anybody that the emperor had no clothes. Yes, uh, Fearless is a, a pretty good description of him uh, professionally and, in my opinion, personally. You know, I first met uh, James when CINCOM acquired uh, Visual Works. 
So were you working at Syncom at the time? Yes, I was with the uh, Object Studio uh, group. I had, uh, I've done everything there. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, but at the time I was with Object Studio and this is going to come out wrong and it's not meant to, to disrespect a lot of the other people uh, that came in with that. But initially, James was the just about the only guy who wasn't squirrely. <laughs> okay, does that make sense? I suppose. Yeah, and and being acquired, uh, you know, probably had something to do with the way the other people acted and uh, uh, were perceived to be acting when they came in, but. Uh, uh, I found James uh, the most uh, accessible uh, person uh, uh, there, and then as things integrated uh, more, you know, that initial squirreliness faded. But I mean, from the get-go and throughout, you know, James was uh, uh, very consistent, not without faults. Uh, um, you know, while he could be a deep reader, generally on the internet, he was not, <laughs> and, and in emails, and so sometimes that would lead to confusion. I, I gather that uh, his quintessential New Yorkness. Um, I, I know it it blew some Cincinnatians away. We have a lot of uh, natives or longtime uh, Cincinnatians at Syncom. You know, it's like, I have another friend who put it this way. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling in your presence. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And, and Jim, you know, he didn't yell necessarily, but he could be loud and uh, a little more assertive than, than people were comfortable with. And I gather that would also be true of some of the uh, um, more, you know, longer term and also settled in. Uh, California Park Placers. Uh, um, I, I I kept hearing him say when when things go wrong, he'll say, "Well, I'll just blame that on Troy." Yep. Where, where did that come from? Uh, somewhere in the realm of uh, the Small Talk IRC channel uh, at ircparkplace.net, which uh, just has a few of us left that hang out there now in the uh, in the open channel. Um, it just happened. Um, something went wrong. Um, uh, blame started getting passed around and, and it just started clumping on me and became a, uh, uh, just, just a catchphrase and a, and a standard, uh, in joke, which, you know, was, uh, was pretty good. I, I always like to say, you know, my, I don't get paid enough to really be to blame for all this, but I'll take it anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, Yann Moncler also caught some of it, but it just um, eventually just all, all all clumped on me. Uh, <laughs> Alan, Alan Knight joined in, and, and that pretty much became the stamp of approval. Yeah, because he was always saying, oh, that's Troy's fault. Yep. <laughs> So you're the, you're the official fault holder. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, he uh, he had a, an interesting uh, personality. He had he was very opinionated, and uh, so yeah, he uh, 
but he tended to keep that off of the podcast. But uh, how did you find him, uh, like, uh, in terms of being uh, opinionated or uh, humorous? Uh, he was very gruff at times. Yeah, but um, again, I think some of that's just the uh, uh, New York East Coast assertiveness, uh, coupled with I think you know his own just base you know, innate genetically wired personality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, not, not one to, to back down, um, and, uh, not one to, uh, mince words too often, which I liked. I mean, it didn't always make everybody comfortable. Uh, but, you know, I liked it, and, you know, Jim was always Jim. Well, one thing I remember about Jim is that he was always passionate about small talk, and he was relentless in his uh, efforts. I mean, he, he did so much work to try and promote it. I, it made me tired just watching him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how he could keep up with with everything. Um, and, you know, if you want to draw a historical religious parallel uh, you know, if he was our, you know, evangelist apostle, uh, he's a lot like St. Paul, you know, and, and St. Paul pretty much pissed off everybody, <laughs> you know, and, and James, yeah, you know, he, he had some of that, but yeah, he, you know, he firmly, uh, believed in the technical superiority of small talk. And I, and I agree with that assessment, even though I, uh, you know, haven't been able to use it professionally very much. Like any piece of technology, you know, usually when you see problems, you know, you should look first at the people and not at the technology because it's people where issues that, that hold things back, uh, either, you know, with adoption or, or with like fear and, and herd mentality. I mean, one of the things that, that I know we could never break through in the industry is just, you know, there's so much me too-ness, you know, and, and Java is safe or, you know, whatever the flavor of the, of, of the decade is. James was good at calling that out as well. He would, uh, uh, he would always be cynical about, uh, any technology really. Yeah. Himself included. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's always looking for that silver bullet, um, this time will be better. And, and James knew that was not the case with, with, you know, anything. And, you know, small talk can't fix all your problems. Uh, but it can let you do a whole lot of stuff. And, uh, he liked to point that out and prove it. And I know that he was frust- also frustrated, um, as a lot of us are. When you present somebody with an objective, verifiable proof, and they rationalize their way around it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, again, it, you know, like the herd mentality or, or whatever the motivation would be, you, you know, it, it, I know it graded on them uh, to see that. Um, uh, but, you know, he's also a realist, uh, pragmatist, and, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, just, just, you know, hard driven for it. He was in my mind, the, the person who started pushing and I didn't like the name, 
uh, Simcom small talk, but he worked very hard to hammer the identities together in, in terms of branding, which is kind of ironic given his love <clears throat> of marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, you know, he understood the need for an identity and uh, what that could do. So, again, an example of, of his pragmatism. Uh, and I know, I don't know the numbers anymore. It's been too long since I've been there. But, you know, uh, Syncom Smalltalk is, is still profitable at uh, Syncom, VisualWorks and, uh, and Object Studio. You know, it was a good thing he did, uh, you, know, you know, to push that identity. And, and he cared about those sorts of issues of, you know, perceptive when he felt they were of benefit. James was a friend. He is he is missed. I think about him often. You know, uh, when I can bring myself to watch the news, because I just know, um, you know, we would be off in a side channel on the IRC or on, a, you know, instant messenger, just laughing it up about the world and, and how stupid things are. Um, so I mean, personally, it's it's uh, it's it's a big loss to me. I know it's a loss to uh, Jackie and Tori. You know, it was more than just somebody. You know, I met at work. So I also talked to Alan Knight. Alan worked with uh, James at Syncom for many years, and uh, here's the conversation between Alan and I. Yeah, a few words about James. Um, <laughs> this is this is the hard part. When did you first meet up with him? I first met up with Jim uh, when he was at Park Place and you would run into him at conferences and the like. Um, I think that was probably in the very late days of Park Place to talk. I certainly remember sort of talking to him and telling him, you know, you guys should do this, you guys should do that. You should, you need to bring back the conference. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of smiled politely. Mm-hmm. With the, yes, yes, this company is going bankrupt really, really fast, but I can't tell you about that. That's right. And he probably knew at the time. We were sort of watching it on the, uh, what is it? There was a stock exchange for stocks that didn't make it into the, the regular stock exchanges. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the uh, the shares there when I was uh, uh, working on Smalltalk and uh, the shares were kept dropping. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I knew about that. I, I was foolish enough to have bought some. Um, <laughs> that that yeah, didn't work you, out so well. <laughs> and, you know, that was kind of um, characteristic of Jim, just the way he was, you know, pretty optimistic or, you know, at least not saying anything. Yeah. Even when he was in a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also very tireless at conferences. He was always running around with microphones and such. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was sort of thinking about Jim for something to say here, and that was one of the things. Yeah, tireless and kind of a doer. Mm-hmm. Like lots of people complained about something or other, and they, you know, this conference, they couldn't get the presentations recorded or something, and Jim just 
went and did it and got recording equipment and learned how to do recording and recorded things. Or, you know, people ask questions about how do you do stuff in small talk and I don't know how to do this and I just want a quick answer. So Jim, you know, just started making a couple of minute video every day of how to do some simple thing and, and produce this huge repository. How he could do that every day, I have no idea. But do you remember uh, inviting him to Ottawa to give a talk to the Extreme Programming Group? No. Now, there was that's a that's another story in itself. We uh, invited him to a combination small talk and Extreme Programming Group, and uh, the Extreme guys were um, very uh, unhappy about having a small talker come and tell them that uh, the language that they're doing extreme programming in wasn't the right language. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they would have been, but that wouldn't have discouraged Jim at all. No, not at all. He just kept on trucking. So yeah, that was, uh, that was something I remember. So yeah, I mean, he had opinions on everything and uh, was not afraid to express them, especially if people disagreed with him. <laughs> and he was always, it was always in a humorous way. I find. It was never really yes. snarky, like well, well, maybe a little bit snarky, but very, very in a joking manner, I would say. Yes, I mean he he was always happy to call somebody an idiot, sometimes with not very much justification, you know, on his blog in public, <laughs> but you know, kind of in a good-humored way, and in a way that if you pointed out that he was in fact wrong, he admit it or, or, you know, come up with an argument, but he wasn't, uh, you know, mm -hmm. stuck on it. He wasn't dogmatic about it. He knew, he knew, he knew he didn't know everything. I always found he was the inside voice of what's going on inside Syncom when he was at the, doing his blog and the um, uh, podcasts that we could always hear things that were happening and not necessarily uh, all bright and rosy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, would... I don't know. Being on the inside of Syncom, I probably didn't uh, <laughs> get that quite as much. I probably knew what lots of those things were. Yeah, well, I found that, um, uh, for instance, he would talk about the um, internal build processes, and he would be saying things like, oh, our, our VM build process is a mess. And <laughs> Okay, there, there you go. Yes, yes, it was. It got, yeah. uh, it got much, much better. And... Yes. and um, and, you know, again, he would sort of push to fix things or, or you know, do stuff. I, I remember he would come up and, you know, he would do polls, uh, polls of external users, like, you know, ask questions and so forth, you know, run polls on his blog. And, you know, he'd get some number of votes on this topic and the other. And it wasn't a terribly scientific poll. And he would say that, you know, the, I realized this is a completely unscientific poll, but it's some kind of data. That's right. If you have any other data that's better, that would be great. In the meantime, as far as I know, this is the best data we have. Yeah, and uh, you know, getting to hear the, the feedback from people in the world. I mean, it's easy to sit. In fact, it's not so easy to sit uh, on a development team and try and guess what people, are, what people want and what people will do with the technology. But uh, he would go out and find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very difficult. You you can get very inward looking. You can, and and you know, there's what your current customers want, but there's also what the people who might become your customers if you did something want, and that's the thing that's that's hard to figure out. And the gym was always out there, you know, 
evangelizing, trying to get people who would never have thought of small talk in a million years to at least try it or at least mm -hmm. try to come. Even if they just wanted to try it so they could come up with an argument against Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, he, he was very big on the, the popularizing. He's um, I think the, the whole blogging and the whole podcasting was all just for getting people to learn about this technology. Very passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think Jim liked to talk. And, and a lot of this was just, you know, him getting his voice out into the world. But a lot of what his voice was saying was, you know, use small talk. Mm -hmm. I must say, I, I think about him just about every day. That uh, I'm, I'm so used to having recording sessions with him every Saturday or every Sunday. And uh, it was uh, quite a shock when uh, I learned that I wouldn't be doing that anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's quite a shock. I don't think I think of him every day, but it's more like every once in a while, I just realize Jim's not around. That's right. A little shock. Like, I forgot. Next is uh, Michael Lucas Smith. Um, James and Michael, went, they go back a long time, back to uh, the very first uh, Industry Misinterpretations podcast and before. Uh, and James was instrumental in helping get uh, Michael hired on at Syncom. So, uh, and, and he and Michael did podcasts not only on Smalltalk, but also on various games that they played together. So here's uh, Michael Lucas-Smith talking to, about James. I first met him non-physically on, on the internet. Uh, and uh, it was around the time I was working at Wizard. And we were in VA Smalltalk, Visual Age Smalltalk at the time, IBM owned it. And we were coming up against some interesting technical issues with it for what we were trying to do. And I started looking at this other Smalltalk that was supposedly really big, uh, VisualWorks. Yes. And, uh, I, you know, I, I ended up grabbing a copy and installing it and giving it a go. And over a weekend, my... Uh, my colleague Steve Aldred and I, we managed to knock together something that impressed us. And eventually I just ended up on the IC channel and that's where I met James. Yeah, he was uh, quite popular or quite common. He quite commonly attended the IRC channel. Yeah, there was, a, there was quite a few of us on the IRC channel back then. And, uh, it was good for my, you know, expanding my professional network just to, to meet people using a different small talk to the one that I'd been using for years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and hearing their perspectives on it. So, after playing with VisualWorks for a while, um, you know, Steve Aldrin and I, we tried to sell our company on switching to, to VisualWorks instead of BA Smalltalk, and and uh, and we did so uh, for some future project work. So we we came up with some ideas for for things that we could do, frameworks we could make that would use VisualWorks instead of VA. Uh, so that was the. Uh, a technical direction change in the company at the time, and um, and and from some of that work, I ended up getting to go to, uh, I guess it was Smalltalk Solutions in Seattle. Okay, and that's where I actually finally got to meet you and James and many other people I've been chatting with for for many years uh, in person. So there were a lot there were a lot of those conferences going on at the time, and a lot of interesting work going on as well. Uh, well, you know, that hasn't changed at all. In fact, I think one of the most interesting conf conferences on right now is probably the 
Argentina small talks. Obviously, the the ESOG conference is, is really fun. I kind of wish I'd gone this year. Uh, maybe I'll get to go next year. So, yeah, I, I got to know James pretty well before I finally met him. And then once I finally met him, uh, you know, all suspicions were confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in, um, I think it was around 2007, he started his podcast. And I guess you and I were both in there uh, with him uh, on the podcast. How did you get involved with that? Did Were you chatting with him beforehand about that? or That was our idea to, to do that. And we tried different variations of the idea before we settled on, uh, you know, doing an industry podcast about small talk. Uh, you know, we, we tried doing a, a games podcast a couple of times. And we tried doing a general news podcast even before the small talk one. And eventually we realized that we could easily talk about something we actually knew. <laughs> uh, what about the name uh, Industry Misinterpretations uh, I don't remember where we got that from I know we were just having fun with it and uh, it was an amalgamation of two different names uh, like Industry Small Talk and, and um, I think the misinterpretations might have come from my blog name at the time I, I seem to recall that yeah so we just sort of smashed that together and, and, and did the podcast and, and getting you involved was, was uh, you know fantastic as well because well you know all three of us have been really good friends so um and <laughs> the more industry experience we could pull in to tell war stories the better <laughs> what, what i started finding after a while was uh gee this is taking a whole lot of preparation time every single week yeah <laughs> we, we you know the, the longer we did it the more we learned how to do it better Yes, and we completely ignored that advice. Uh, so, <laughs> James yeah. had this strange, strange obsession with cutting out the white space between people's sentences, and okay. you hear you hear it sometimes on a TV show where they're like doing a, a reality TV show. They sit down, they interview somebody, and and their voice just sort of rapidly changes pitch as they're basically condensing the conversation down. Uh, and for some reason, James loved to do that. Oh, I hated it so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got we got much lazier as time went on. It, it got uh -huh. to be more like, uh, okay, well, what's the topic? Okay, here's the topic. Let's record. It's like, well, we need to cut this bit out, James. No, seriously, we actually have to cut this bit out. <laughs> James, no, really seriously. <laughs> you know, it's sort of an ongoing joke. You say something that you shouldn't, and then we just keep it in anyway. But uh, sometimes people said something they really shouldn't, and they actually had to be removed. And so we had to uh, kind of... Uh, remind ourselves to actually go and do that because, yeah, we were, we were getting a bit lazy. What I found listening to some of the episodes is uh, he w we were all laughing quite a lot. Well, I don't think you can do something like that without it being fun. I mean, it's not like we were being paid for it and we didn't want to be paid for it. This, what, there was one of the philosophical differences we had when we were doing the gaming podcasts later. We would draw some other people in to join, join it and and we had this mentality of telling a story. You know, you start at the beginning of the game, you tell the middle of the game, and then you get to the end of the game, and that's the whole story, and you should stop. You stop making podcasts because it's, the story is told. But some of the people we worked with felt that, you know, there were these other podcasts out there that were just, you know, serials. They just kept going on forever, and they would grab market share, and then they could sell advertising. But that's not what we were doing. For a game podcast like that, is there a sense of spoilers of things coming up like there would be with a movie or something? Absolutely. Uh, and for almost every single episode of 
of uh, Zoomcast and you know that podcast. The Zoomcast was our Skyrim Elder Scrolls yeah. podcast, and Zoomcast was uh, sorry, uh, and that podcast was our Fallout New Vegas podcast. And almost every single episode, we would preface it with warnings of spoilers about what we were going to talk about because uh, there were people who would play the game at different paces. Some people were ahead of us, some people were behind us, and uh, what we found our audience was doing was they were pacing their their podcast experience, listening to it with their progress in the game. So, so, so they wouldn't listen to your podcast until after they've played that part. Yeah, and and so we were getting you know people contacting us a year after finishing that podcast, <laughs> telling us that they just finished the the podcast and they loved it. Thank you very much. Uh, and at the same time, we had people who were right there with us as we were releasing each weekly episode. Uh, but even amongst ourselves, sometimes we would have to drop off the call. You know, uh, somebody would start talking about an area that somebody else hadn't been to. It was like, oh, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Because uh, <laughs> we didn't want to spoil it for each other either. Yeah, so you had to go play the part that he had already played or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that, pretty funny. Interpretations was never quite like that. Um, but I found that because industry misinterpretations had gone on so long, uh, I'd run out of things to say. And and so I took a hiatus and then you jumped back in, which was great. And uh, and now, now with James gone, you're starting it up again with a new name, right? It's going to be Small Talk, um, Small Talk Reflections. Yeah, that's and a good name. I'm going to be starting it with uh, Craig Latta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's an audio engineer, so he can do all the heavy lifting. He's uh, offered that. I'm very appreciative of that. <laughs> So James did all of that, and that was because you know neither of us really wanted to do it, um, and then he just took it upon himself, and uh, and and it got done, uh, yeah. and that that was very James. You know, if something had to be done to get get it done, he would he would just do it, and very self-deprecating sometimes. It's like, oh, my code is worse shit, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and and it's the dirty code that often gets things done. I was having this discussion just recently about the concept of beautiful code. And I posited that there is no such thing. And and to it, my, my colleague said, oh, no, there's a seen beautiful code. And I said, I don't think you have. I think you've been sold on the idea that you have. Because every time I've seen code that actually gets stuff done, it is often insane. Like, you know, you'll have two distinctly well-engineered parts. They might be simplistic. They might be uh, efficient. Um, and But then they fit together in this weird way. And, and nothing about it is beautiful. Um, not in, and, and I don't know how people want to classify things as beautiful, but certainly simplicity is not a sign of beauty for me, and efficiency isn't a sign of beauty for me either. Uh, so you know, when I when I see see the concept of beautiful code, it's something that you look down and you and you read the code, and, and it's easy to understand and it inspires you. Anytime I've come across some truly revolutionary code it might inspire the, my mind as to how I would use it, but actually trying to understand that code and, and, and understand it uh, like, like line for line, what it actually does, is usually a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. uh, beautiful code, if there is such a thing, uh, tends not to last for long because you have to modify it. And therein lies the problem. Certainly, I think beautiful concepts, absolutely. But then when you actually make it a program... <laughs> It becomes mm. this uh, this confusing thing uh, that, uh, and, and often you have to you know buy into a concept to, to really want to to do it that way or another way or uh, yeah yeah and 
getting back to James for a minute, that's uh, something that he would always do is come back and say, well, you know, my, my bottom feeder code, that, that's just horrible, awful code. But I think in some ways we all realize that we all have horrible, awful code. And, hey, that's just, that's just part of software development sometimes. Absolutely. And if you're given the time and potentially the money to keep iterating over it, then, then it might become more streamlined and more efficient and simpler. Um, but it will still at its heart be whatever that mess was that you started with. Uh, this is why rewrites don't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, th there were some interesting statistics about popular programming languages, and they were measuring popular programming languages by how much code is out there. Somebody decided to do it differently. They decided to find out what is the most destructive programming language by, <laughs> by seeing how many times an individual library or concept has been rewritten in that language. Okay. C++ one, it I has have. the largest proliferation of rewrites of any language in the industry. Uh, and and to me, that says that that doesn't make C++ popular. That makes C++ onerous. Yeah. The uh, having too many choices. Well, it's not really too many choices. It's just, you know, okay, so I need a library that does X. Here's one that does X. Oh, but it does X in slightly the wrong way. I better rewrite it. That yeah. doesn't happen as much in high-level high languages that, that are about concepts and abstracts. Uh, whether it's procedural, fun functional, or object-oriented, or even logic, there's sort of a certain level of reuse you get when you get to a high enough level that simply isn't happening in the C++ world. For, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's this library that I found that was written in um, Pascal, mm -hmm. and there was a port of it to C. But the port of it to C used glib objects, which meant that if you were going to use it on Windows or Mac, well, now you've got to rewrite it unless you're able to use the glib library with its license restrictions. Mm -hmm. So here's yet another example of the C world basically causing you to rewrite something. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that James loves, is uh, stuff that goes wrong in the industry. Yeah, he did. <laughs> in memory of James, our friend, and uh, well, he'll be... He continues to be greatly missed. Uh, next, I talked to Arden Thomas. Arden Thomas is another Syncomer who's uh, currently the um, Syncom Smalltalk Manager. And uh, Arden and James actually met in high school and then never sort of realized that they knew each other in some sort of strange way. Here, I'll, I'll let Arden explain it. He explains it better. I understand that uh, you went to the same school as James? So, sure, yes. Uh... Jim and I went to the same high school. I actually had his uh, his dad was my forget which math it was, but he, he was my math teacher one year in, in high school. And you never actually met him at that high school. Well, I mean, the thing I I always think is interesting is that uh, you know I know who he was and he knew who who you know who I was, but. Uh, you know, we had different different groups of friends and things, and we had different different interests. Probably, you know, different views on things. So we just uh, just just had different different circles of friends. So we really didn't know each other. So was it back in Park Place when you first actually hooked up and connected like that? Yeah, I always think it's kind of a. I, I enjoy telling the story because I think it's it's a. Uh, 
pretty funny, uh, some irony. So we grew up within a few miles of each other, and we went to the same high school. Didn't didn't really know each other. Actually, a, 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 a girl I dated in high school was just like a couple houses down from Jim. So, I mean, we knew of each other, but just had different interests, different friends. And then years later, Jim had moved off to Maryland and actually had started working with Small Talk through, uh, through a consulting company and then eventually came over to Park Place like a year after I did, but I, we, we still weren't aware of each other. And then I was working as an SE out of the, the New York office when they opened that in New York City. And he was working as a, as a trainer going around the country and teaching classes. And it actually kind of worked out. I think we were both looking for a little less travel in our jobs, if possible, because we both had a lot of travel. And it, it was basically figured out, hey, if we switch jobs, we both have less travel. <laughs> and, so, and so we were both kind of good with that. So I, you know, kind of kind of showed Jim some things about being an SE and and, and he showed me some things. You know, basically, I, I watched him teach one or two of his of his classes, and I remember the first phone call. I, I called, and he, he saw on the caller ID the area code. He goes, "Where are you calling from?" I'm like, "Oh, Southern Dutchess County." He says, "He's like, where? I grew up in Southern Dutchess County." Where <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Oh," he says, "You know, did did you go to John Jay? That was the the high school." And all of a sudden, I'm like. Oh, you're that Jim Robertson. I know exactly who you are. So it was, it was, it was pretty funny. So you sort of reconnected again. Uh, so that, that's that's hilarious. That he only realized um, after he was working at Syncom that uh, you were the same Arden Thomas, and you thought he was the same Jim right. as, uh, as in high school. <laughs> yeah, and, and the funny thing is, so so really, the small talk was kind of the the common bond that that introduced us after after years of you know growing up and living a few miles apart and never really knowing each other but but then also as as you know looking back probably in high school we probably had little you know little in common probably few common interests per se but one of the things that you know as we had gotten to spend more time with each other over the years at uh at well largely back again at at Syncom we spend some time at Park Place and then then Syncom, you know, we have a, a lot of other interests that kind of brought us closer together. You know, some of the the same family values and you know a, a lot of a lot of our views on small talk. While not you know complete agreement, ninety percent of the things we agreed on, which is one of the reasons I think uh, you know Jim had been the the prior product manager and he recommended me. For he wanted to transition into being the the product evangelist and and recommended that that I take his position and I think part of that reason is because we basically saw eye to eye on most things and you know just to, just enough differences to keep it interesting. <laughs> so yeah. it was a small talk world, but even other things like you know family values, you know political viewpoints, just general views on on lots of things it was a similar thing. It was you know. 80 or 90% we had we had like-minded views and just enough to keep to keep things interesting and some good conversation so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, James was certainly good for the for the good conversations, I must say. He, uh, he was certainly opinionated and had strong views. Yes, yes, but you know, he was also he was also pretty pretty good about being able to have a of a, a very civilized debate, even you know, with differences with with almost everyone. I think that's something he probably built up over time. But I, I thought he was very good at doing that too. Mm-hmm. But but he he came for you wanted to have like a. A, a debate about some different political views, boy, you better come prepared because he would certainly be. I must say, I've never really engaged Jim in any any sort of political discussion. For, for us, it's been mostly technical, mostly small talk. So we tend to agree on just about anything. <laughs> so, But uh, I've never gotten into it with him with uh, political things. Okay. Anyways, thanks a lot, Arden. Oh, you're very yeah. welcome, Dave. Okay, so those are the uh, the clips that we have. I uh, hope you enjoyed them. Yeah, it was really good to, uh, well, both to hear James and to hear some reflection uh, from some people who worked with him closely. So we're going to try to carry on the mission that James started uh, with this podcast and try and promote small talk to the world. So um, cheers, James. Thank you very much for all the work that you've done over the years and we're going to try and pick up and take it from here. So Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, starting in the next episode, we'll start from the beginning with what is small talk and hopefully get a few more people interested in this technology. So let's see what we can do. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate your time and look forward to uh, the podcasting in the future. Yeah, thanks, David. This is going to be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Oh, I would like to mention that uh, I'm going to be organizing a Camp Small Talk Ottawa. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. Yep, I'll be organizing that in May or June of this year. Very cool. So uh, if anybody's interested, they can let me know. Okay, I have to run. We'll talk to you later. Okay, see ya. Okay, bye. Bye.